We're going to give our attention to the reading of God's Word. From Exodus chapter 20 this morning. The scripture reading for today comes from the book of Exodus chapter 20 verses 1 through 17. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is in your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that your Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. This is the Lord, word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning, and we pray that you would send your spirit to be with us, to tend to your word and to tend to our hearts, Lord, that we could hear and do all that you've commanded. Father, we need your help, so we beg that the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth would honor you and that we would come to know you as you've revealed yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, many years ago, I got a, a text from my wife that included a video. And uh, the video was of my daughter, Jaden, who was five years old at the time, walking in our front door with another five-year-old from her kindergarten class. And the caption underneath the video read, So, Jaden brought home a friend today, surprise face emoji, I had no idea this was happening. Now that's a little frightening, but the scarier thing is, is the girl that she brought home was named Lupe, and Lupe's mother had no idea that this was happening either. (laughs) So you can imagine the terror and the fear that Lupe's mom felt when she's waiting at the bus stop, and there's no Lupe. And she's like, where is Lupe? Now, to make matters worse, we didn't know how to get in touch with Lupe's mom. And neither did Lupe. She was five, right? So Minnie and I were pretty sure that an Amber Alert was going to be going out. And y'all were going to see pictures of one of your pastors and his wife handcuffed for abducting a child, right? But the saving grace was this. About a week before, my wife had actually met Lupe's mom 
at gymnastics practice, and they had talked about having a play date for Jaden and Lupe, and Jaden and Lupe had heard this. Yeah, we're, you know, let's set up a play date together. So when Lupe's mom called the school to try to figure out where her daughter was, you know, they started asking her all the questions that they've been trained to ask, like, is it possible your daughter went home with somebody else? And she was like, uh, maybe Jaden Jones? And so the school calls us, and uh, they put us in touch with Lupe's mom, and everybody lived happily ever after. Now, the moral of this story is not never trust a pastor's kid, okay? Um, the moral of the story is it's possible to understand a few things, but not understand how the whole thing works. Lupe and Jaden knew that they needed mommy's permission in order to have a play date. But what they didn't understand at five years old is they also needed their mommies to decide on what day and where and for how long, right? Jaden and Lupe failed to understand the terms of the relationship. Now this morning we are starting a series on the Ten Commandments. And actually the way the Hebrew Scriptures refers to them is the Ten Words. And they're the heart of God's law in the Old Testament. And the reason why I tell you that story about Jaden and Lupe is that I think it's possible whether you've been a Christian all your life or you're not yet a Christian to understand a few things about the law of God but not understand how the whole thing works. And my job this morning is to introduce this series and give us a few things to help orient us into studying these ten words. And I want to begin with a question. What is God's will for your life? Now, I'm, I imagine you've asked that question at some point. Even if you're kind of barely associated with Christianity or with religion, you're like, what, what does God want from me? What is his will for me? And I would even imagine that maybe you've experienced some anxiety about that. Am, am I in God's will? And I think when we're asking that question, what we're asking is, God, what are your plans for me? Right? Like, who am I supposed to marry? Which job am I supposed to take? Where am I supposed to live? How, how is my life going to go? What's your plan, God? Tell it to me. But the interesting thing is, is this. In the Bible, when you want to know God's will, what he directs us to is his commands. Deuteronomy 29, 29, a little later in the history of Israel, we find these words. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Did you catch that? There's secret things, God's sovereign plans, they belong to him. And then there are things that are revealed, and specifically, his commands. Guess which one we're supposed to focus on more? It's his commands. And that's why we're going to be talking about the ten words for the next ten weeks. Now, I want to throw out an idea uh, for you to just bat around your head and keep in your mind as we work through this series. That in many ways, growing in Christ is about becoming more and more of a person who loves to be told what to do by God. And that's not a bad thing. That's a really, really good thing. So hang on to that. So I want to begin um, with this thought. 
These 10 words that we find in Exodus 20, we also find them in Deuteronomy chapter 5, they express God's will for his covenant people. And uh, immediately we're going to have to clear some clutter about this because the objections are so many, right? They come fast and furious from our hearts. Our hearts are very busy and they, they resist. And one of the ways we resist this is we say, I thought it was not about the rules. It's about relationship. And you know, there's something important about that. But rules actually teach us how to live well in relationships. Okay? Try fostering good relationships between children without any rules. And even try to reduce it to something like play fair, you know? We'll see how that works out, you know? You have to spell out what play fair looks like. These ten words are part of God's covenant with his people. There's a relational context to them. And they are teaching us how to live well with him as well as with each other. Because every relationship has its terms. And God is the one who establishes the terms of the relationship. Now, another objection that comes up in our hearts, we're like, but this seems to stifle freedom, right? I mean, you just kind of feel people feel like, oh, you know, the ten rules, you know? Um, but I want you to imagine for a moment, if you could live in a community where no one ever lied about you, and everybody could be trusted to tell the truth, that you didn't have to lock your doors because no one ever, t- never took anything that wasn't theirs. Where there wasn't envy and jealousy ruining relationships. Where everybody regularly rested. There was no murder. Right? There was no violence. Wouldn't that be a beautiful community to live in? Do you know what I just described? Life according to God's rules. It's a beautiful picture that we often misunderstand and don't actually recognize. Because inside we think what's really important is freedom. And freedom is the ability to just choose whatever option seems best to you. But here's the thing, and this is really important. You're not free simply because you choose. You're only free when you choose well. Because there are choices that are destructive, and that are enslaving to ourselves and to others. God is giving his law to secure our freedom, not to destroy it, to help us to choose well. Now, another objection that comes up, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but they're like, these rules are old, we can do better. Like, go on the internet, and you're going to see there's all kinds of surveys, and there's all kinds of people saying, like, let's write the new Ten Commandments, you know? And all i got to say to that is, We'll see if that's still around in 3,000 years, okay? We'll, we'll see if it's still around in 30 years. Uh, we, you know, we, we want to edit, we want to improve, and there's something about this, even if you're not yet a Christian, that you have to reckon with to say, these 10 words have shaped civil, civilizations. They have endured for 3,000 years. And so even if you're not yet at the point where you say, these came from God, Would you be willing to consider the vision of life that they put before our eyes? God is giving this law to secure our freedom, not to destroy it. But why are they all so negative sounding? Don't do this. Don't do that. Right? And you're like, we 
Surely we can make those a little bit better. But I, but I want you to think about the building blocks of ethics in your children. Okay? You don't begin with all the things that they can do. You pick a few things that they're not supposed to do. Why? Because it would take forever to spell out all the things that they can enjoy. But they need to know a few things that are actually harmful or destructive to them. G.K. Chesterton talked about this, and he said uh, the brevity of the Ten Commandments is the soul of wit. He said, imagine if you had to go on talking about, oh, you're able to make bubbles and eat steak and ski on mountains and do this and do that. He's like, you'd never come to an end of it. And he says, but you need to define the few things that are off limits so that you can get on with enjoying everything else. And he said, we can pretty much rely on the fact that we're going to enjoy it, right? Don't need to be told. So, but here's the last objection, and this is really important, and I think it matters significantly to this whole series. And that is, didn't Jesus come to set us free from the law? And you know, in a certain sense, yes, he did. A very, very important sense. But that does not mean that these rules no longer matter or no longer define holy living. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, right at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says these words, Do not think that I came to abolish the law. I don't know how he could be clearer. I didn't come to cancel this. I didn't come to make this vanish and go away. I didn't come to get rid of this. Jesus actually takes the law much more seriously than you or I do. If you read the Sermon on the Mount, he says um, it's actually not just murder. It is hatred and anger that God is getting at. It's not just adultery. It is lust. It is not just stealing. It's tight-fistedness and greed. These are the things that God is aiming to pull out of our hearts. And Jesus is saying it was all there in the beginning, and you just didn't see it. We'll come back to this in a moment. But I want to say a few words about these ten words and how they're placed in the book of Exodus. These ten words have a special place in the relationship God has with his people. They're the heart of the covenant. They're the foundational principles out of which the other laws, some of which have been modified in various ways with the coming of Jesus, um, but they're the foundation of those. They're written by the finger of God on these tablets at first. When you you think the stone tablets, think like iPads. It's inscribed by God's finger. And they were placed in the Ark of the Covenant in the middle of the sanctuary as a testimony to the terms of the relationship. These ten words are also embedded in a story that helps us make sense of them. The story of God's rescue of his people from slavery in Egypt. They're part of a covenant that is made with the whole nation. And uh, many scholars have noted that it actually stands out that there were all kinds of treaties and covenants made in the ancient world. But they were always made between a king and a subject king. right? Or uh, the leaders of one community and another. But this one... God makes with all his people the commands shift from a plural introduction to singular. You 
shall have no other gods before me. You shall rest. And it means that there's something very personal and intimate about this. And by the way, they don't just focus on externals. A lot of times we say, oh, the Old Testament is all about external religion. And then Jesus comes and it gets all internal. What's the last commandment? Do not covet. God cares about us holistically. Who we are in public and who we are in private. Who we are on the outside, who we are in the inside. The real us, holistically, not atomistically. And he cares about not just our relationship with him, but with each other. You know, the Ten Commandments kind of neatly fall into, into two sections. The first four have to do with our duty to God. And the next six have to do with our duty to our neighbor. And the way Jesus later summarized it is, love God, love your neighbor. How? Here's ten words. Spells it out. You know, it's, it's interesting. You can, if you're new to the Christian faith, you're like, oh, here we go again. Christians prattling on about, you know, the Ten Commandments. And, uh, and I, think that's, I think that's fair because there's a lot of, like, really goofy ways in which Christians have talked about this. Uh, some of you may remember that years ago, um, Stephen Colbert, when he was on Comedy Central, uh, he did this interview with this congr- congressman from Georgia. I don't want to say the name because this, this is, this is kind of bad. Uh, but he was doing this interview with this guy who had co-sponsored a bill. First bill he had co-sponsored. He hadn't done anything in Congress for all the years that he had served. But the first bill that he co-sponsored was to display the Ten Commandments in the House and the Senate chambers. And uh, Colbert asked him why. And he's like, you know, Ten Commandments, they're not bad. You know, they're foundational for life. You know, they, we're really going to lose our way if, uh, if we don't have the Ten Commandments. And he was like, he's like, can you think of a better building to have the Ten Commandments in, right, than a judicial building? And Colbert said, that's a good question. Can you think of a better building in which to place the Ten Commandments? Hope you're following that. But then the next question was, Colbert said, what are the Ten Commandments? And the congressman said, what are all of them? <laughs> and uh, Colbert said, yes, what are, what are they all? And he was like, um, don't lie, don't steal, don't murder. I, I can't name them all. <laughs> and everybody's just like dying laughing. And, then, and as I watched this, I thought, you know, before we all get judgy and have a good laugh, how many can you name? If this is the core of God's covenant with his people, and he's mashed it down to ten words, right? And we don't don't even know them. And we want to know God's will for our life. And God says, take a look. I wrote it with my finger. And if you actually do these, what comes out is a beautiful community. You want to know God's will for your life? Look at the ten. Because these ten words express his will for his covenant people. Now, here's the second thing. The ten commandments actually don't begin with a commandment. Did you notice that? They actually begin with a declaration. This is how they start, both in Exodus 20 and in Deuteronomy 5. I am the Lord your God. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. 
Friends, I, I don't know how to emphasize this enough. But these first people who were receiving these commandments, they didn't grow up with them, right? They are receiving them for the first time. And they didn't read them. They heard them spoken. It was a scene, if you go back and listen to Exodus 19. They're getting the audio and the visual. Do you know who they were? They were ex-slaves. And God says, I'm your God. I have rescued you. For hundreds of years, they had suffered in slavery in Egypt. God rolled up his sleeves and draws them out and brings them to the foot of this mountain. And he says, and now I want to talk to you about how to live in relationship with me. See, what's the first thing he wants them to hear? What do ex-slaves need to hear first? What they hear is, I'm your God. I brought you out. I set you free. And I want you to live in freedom. The Ten Commandments don't begin with a command. They begin with a declaration. With God telling us who he is. And with God telling us what he's done. You know, it's interesting. In the ancient world, I mentioned there was all kinds of treaties and covenants. And they, they, they all have a similar structure. In Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, look very similar. It begins with the king stating his name. And then a little bit of history. And then the stipulations. And then the blessings if you keep, the curses if you don't. Like, it's all structured that way. But the way this one begins is not with Moses establishing that, but with God himself saying, I am Yahweh, your God. You know, Yahweh is the name that shows up in Genesis, but we don't really know what it means or what it refers to until we get to Exodus. When he appears to Moses at the burning bush, and it's this kind of untranslatable name because it means I am what I am. It means I will be what I will be. It can be either tense. And it's basically God saying, I'm the divine creator who is binding myself to you. And all that I am, I always will be and forever will be in every action, all of the time, without diminishment, without addition for you. Because I am naming myself your God. Your God. I am yours and you are mine. This, this is the, basic, the, the basis of all Christian ethics. Is it begins with redemption. It begins with God's action in saving and in rescuing. And that should affect how we understand his commands. These are the tender words of a God who is holy, 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 but also loves and binds himself to his people. Now, how do we use these in our lives? And this will be quick because we'll revisit this throughout the series. But God uses his law in three basic ways. Okay? He uses it to expose us. He uses it to restrain us. And he uses it To let us run free. And I'm going to give you three images. If you've come to our Intro to Grace class, we've used these before. But the law functions like a mirror, a fence, and a path. And you'll find this all throughout both the Old and the New Testaments. It's a mirror. We read about this in in the liturgy a little earlier. Where the Apostle Paul writes that we don't get saved or rescued by obeying the law. Rather, the law shows us our need of it. 
Through the law comes knowledge of sin. And Paul had a very specific example of this, excuse me, in his life. He said he thought he was a commandment keeper until he stumbled over do not covet. And then he realized he broke every one of them. Many of us can go through the commands, we're like, check, check, check. Uh, yeah, I didn't murder anybody, you know? <laughs> like, that one's easy, you know? I mean, maybe, I don't know. Uh, we have different stories here. Um, but when we see that it's working the outside and the inside, and we begin to come to grips with this God who has rescued me, I have dishonored with my way of life. It's like the law is a mirror showing us our need to be cleansed. It actually makes us long for Jesus. I'll come back to that. The law is also a fence. It's like when you, when you see a playground that sits next to a, a road, it always has a fence around it because you don't want the kids to run out in the street and get run over and squashed. Okay? The fence is there to protect them. The fence is there to actually define the area in which they can play. Right? But it's to restrain them from danger. And God's law functions like that. Why do we care about what God has to say about our sex life? Because sex was his idea. And he knows how it's meant to work. And he knows what goes wrong when we misuse it. Why do we listen to God about the command to rest? Because God built us. And he designed us to live with a rhythm. And he knows what happens when we're pulled tight, nonstop. And we never rest. And never find our identity in who he is and what he's done for us, but are always trying to make it in what we accomplish or our work. God puts up fences and therefore are good. And then the last image is a path. The psalmist says, you have set my heart free, therefore I run in the path of your commands. Like you want to know what loving God and loving others looks like? Follow the law. Follow the law. It leads the way. It exposes us. It restrains us. It guides us. It is good. It is beautiful. Right? And it is right. Now, I want to come back uh, to the passage I mentioned earlier. Matthew 5, verse 17. Where I said that Jesus said, Do not think I came to abolish the law. Don't think that. If you think that, don't. That's what Jesus is saying. I didn't come to cancel it. But it goes on and it says, I did not come to abolish. I came to fulfill. You have to ask the question, what does that mean? Well, it means at least two things. It first means that Jesus came to fill it out. To embody it perfectly. When you look at the life of Jesus Christ, what you're looking at is the life of someone who is a perfect commandment And you know, it's interesting because we think people who keep commandments are uptight, rigid, self-righteous people. But the most obedient man who ever walked the face of the earth was not an uptight, self-righteous, rigid person. He was the most loving person to ever walk the face of the earth. In Jesus, we see what the law was intended to do. Jesus fills it up and fills it out perfectly. But there's a second way in which he fulfills it. And that is that he satisfies all its demands. Jesus 
obeyed the law perfectly for you. He becomes the sacrifice to take away the sins of the world for you if you trust in him. And the news is even better because as the New Testament letters are being written, they begin to spell out not only are our sins wiped away, but Jesus' perfect obedience, his righteousness is credited to us. That means when God looks at us, In Christ, he looks at us as if we have kept the law every single day of our lives when we haven't done it probably for one minute. This is part of the beauty of the Christian gospel, and it is actually the way we come to love God's law. Become people who love to be told what to do by God. You know, the great promise in the Old Testament was that God God said, I will be your God and you will be my people. And he said, and I'm going to give you a new heart and put my spirit in you. And guess what he's going to do in that new heart? I'm going to write my law on it. I'm going to write my law on it. Because the law portrays a beautiful life. A life with God and a life with others. And Jesus comes to accomplish that for us. So that we can have his spirit and we can become people who love to be told what to do by God. Now, I know that there are times when you are reading God's commands. Maybe not just the ten words which are the core, but other commands. And you're like, this doesn't make any sense to me. And this is like the nub of the issue for everyone, isn't it? Whether our relationship with God is one of agreement or of obedience... And there's a difference. And you know it if you're a parent, right? Agreement is when a child says, that makes sense to me. I'll do it. (laughs) Obedience is when that doesn't make any sense to me, but I'll do it, right? And then there's, of course, disobedience, which is where most of us live most of our lives. But when it comes to God, many of us are trying to engage him in the lane of agreement. God, this has to make sense to me before I'll do it. If it doesn't make sense, I'm not going to do it. Do not murder. That makes sense. Won't do it, right? Rest. That doesn't make any sense. I'm going to fall behind. Do do not commit adultery. That makes sense, you know? Do not lust. I mean, come on. Come on. This was written a long time ago. And you see, we're struggling with this because underneath, what we're wrestling with is do we trust God? And here's an illustration I want to give you that hopefully will be helpful as we move through the Ten Commandments. Many of you have seen uh, the recent, is it on Netflix now? It started on YouTube, uh, Cobra Kai. Anybody watch that that show? I didn't. Uh, But it actually is a, it's a a sequel series to the original Karate Kid movie. You remember the original Karate Kid movie with Mr. Miyagi and with Daniel LaRusso? Where Daniel LaRusso's beat up. Uh, mercilessly, you know, several times, and uh, goes to Mr. Miyagi once he figures out he knows karate and wants to learn. And what happens every day as he shows up to Mr. Miyagi's house? Well, first, what is it? Wax the car? You know, wax on, wax off? And then, what, the next day, it's paint the fence? You know? And then the next day, it's sand the floors? Right? On and on and on it goes. 
And Daniel LaRusso is frustrated because he's like, I want to learn karate. Why am I basically being your slave boy here? And then there's that moment, that encounter, when Mr. Miyagi says, Daniel's son, and he's like, paint the fence, and he starts throwing blows at him. And all of a sudden, Daniel LaRusso, it dawns on him. The whole time, he has been learning the secrets of the master. And if he had stopped at any point along the way saying, this doesn't make any sense, he would never have received the secrets the master wanted to give him. Friends, obeying God's law is really about do you trust the master? And the structure of the Ten Commandments, the way they fit into the story, the way Jesus uses them, tells us they're embedded in a narrative about who God is and what he has done and why he is trustworthy. And when that begins to settle in our hearts, we begin to become people who love to be told what to do by God, even when it doesn't yet make sense. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you. We thank you for your word. Thank you for its richness. Uh, We thank you for the way that it exposes us, but leads us to Jesus, that it restrains us, Lord, but for our safety and protection, and that it unfolds a beautiful way of life before us that we can run along its paths. So, Lord, by your spirit, would you make this go down deep into us? And would you deal with our issues of distrust of you? Would you overwhelm us with your love and your mercy and your holiness and your goodness and your justice? And would you make us more and more people who love to be told to do what by, by you? Because we trust you and because we know you love us. We ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.